Welcome back to the Morgan Stanley Ideas Podcast. I'm Ashley Miltite. Today on the show, how will car insurance work if humans aren't the ones driving? When I was little, I was sure that by the time I could drive, I'd be flying around in some sort of rocket ship minivan hybrid. Unfortunately for my four-year-old self, science hasn't quite caught up to my imagination yet. The future of our roads isn't a multi-lane highway in the sky. But there is a place where you can see what the future of roads looks like, right on the edge of Ann Arbor, Michigan. We are driving, but not with our hands, (laughs) and it is crazy to me. Brings a whole new meaning to, hey, look, mom, no hands. Yeah, it's really, uh, really crazy. Our producers, Barry and Ricky, are being shuttled around M-City at the University of Michigan. M-City is a laboratory for testing out automated vehicle technology. Now, before we get deep into autonomous vehicle talk, there's some lingo you need to know. There are five categories, or levels as they're called, of self-driving cars. Level zero. This is when the car is totally human-powered. It's how we've always driven. Level one, mostly manual, but sometimes there's driver assistance when it comes to actions like steering and braking. Levels two and three continue to transfer control from humans to software. Then there's level four. This is a fully autonomous vehicle, but it doesn't cover all driving scenarios. And then there's level five. It's a fully autonomous vehicle that can handle any scenario. It's the level of the future. But level four? That's in the present. That's the kind of shuttle Barry and Ricky are on. Yeah, and you'll see here, we're going to accelerate for a minute. This is Greg McGuire. Greg McGuire, yep, the uh, lab director for uh, for M-City. And I'm Carrie Morton, the deputy director of M-City. Greg, along with Carrie Morton, took our producers on a tour... M-City is a testing site for driverless cars, kind of like a large bumper car course. Except, unlike bumper cars, the objective here is for the cars to stay at a safe distance from each other, not to mention curbs, buildings, trains. You get it. It looks like a fake city with different areas that mimic the real world, a downtown and a small highway with road signs and traffic lights. Barry and Ricky also got to take a ride in a Lincoln MKZ. This isn't just any Lincoln. It's a self-driving Lincoln. There are racks with sensors all over the outside of the vehicle, and the inside has a large tablet where you control where it begins the simulation. We can go now. This is Xiaobing Xu. He's a postdoc at the University of Michigan, and he's the one who took this regular car and wrote computer programs so it could become autonomous. Oh, so Xiaobing pressed a button, and we are moving in a car. The steering wheel looks like an invisible human is is operating it. So the steering wheel actually is still controlling the wheels of the car, but it's... No one's touching it. Can you say it again? No one's touching the wheel, and you'll see... M-City needs to exist because these self-driving cars can't go straight to our public roads. Even though the software inside the cars is very sophisticated, it still has some quirks. (laughs) And we... Stopped. That was a stop. (laughs) But I don't see a car, so what might it be picking up? Uh, Right now, we actually have a lot of cottonwood seeds in the air from spring, um, and the sensors pick those up and sometimes get confused. The cars aren't perfect now, but computer scientists and engineers all over the world are looking to get them there. And once they're ready for the road, 
buckle up for a lot of change. This is going to be a disruption akin to when we we left the horse and buggy behind and put the internal combustion engine in vehicles. So lots of different business models are going to evolve and some are going to die away. You know, if you're in the vehicle repair business and cars are no longer crashing and you sell, uh, for example, you sell automotive paint, you might be wondering what's the future like. If you are a municipality, you're thinking, how does this change how we move people and goods in our city and how can this best benefit our unique situation? Because there won't be a one-size-fits-all solution for all the different cities and municipalities across the country. The future is exciting and, well, disruptive. It's fun to imagine, and there's been plenty of media coverage wondering what this driverless future is going to look like. But while reporters have been thinking about all the ways our lives are going to change once we're living in an episode of The Jetsons, they've had a blind spot on one very important, very practical question – How is car insurance going to work when nobody is driving? With an insurance company, uh, they're protecting customers against claims um, and they're charging premiums to cover those claims. Uh, If you have autonomous vehicles, they're going to be very safe. This is John Hocking. I'm uh, John Hocking and I cover European insurance at Morgan Stanley. He's a researcher who is looking at the $200 billion auto insurance industry and how it's going to be disrupted. 90% of... Uh, accidents are caused by some form of human error. And in theory, with an autonomous vehicle, you can take a lot of that human error out of the system. Um, You can potentially even reduce claims by 90%. If you don't have the claims, you don't have the revenue. Uh, The second big risk is that you just have fewer vehicles because more of these vehicles are going to be insured by corporates. So it becomes less of a retail business. Uh, And then the third risk is that... um, the actual premiums go down because the big fleets will only be insuring the tail risk. You know, they won't need um, the level of cover that a retail customer needs. And they have a lot of information themselves so that the business becomes very, very competitive. If you think about insuring, uh, you know, maybe one of the big taxi companies, they're collecting a huge amount of data on the vehicle fleet. So you're at a big competitive disadvantage if you're trying to underwrite that type of risk. Uh, So for the industry, it's very, very disruptive. And if we have a world where all cars are autonomous, that's probably a world where you have a much, much smaller motor insurance market. It is highly expected that there'll simply be a lot fewer accidents. This is Hilary Rowan. She's an attorney practicing insurance regulatory law. And she's taken a big interest in how self-driving cars will impact the auto insurance world. It is equally likely that the cost of repairing the cars will actually be higher because... Self-driving cars have a lot of fairly sensitive and expensive sensors and other equipment basically sitting in exposed locations. But that's just the first layer. The second layer is patterns of car ownership are likely to change. We don't know for sure yet what's going to happen, but it is quite likely that the number of cars per household will go down. So they may not only own, where previously they might have owned two cars, they might not only own one. So that changes insurance because it means that there's going to be a lot fewer private passenger cars and therefore fewer vehicles insured by private passenger auto insurance. However, those fleet vehicles, those fleet self-driving cars will need to be insured, but they'll be insured under commercial auto policies. Then the third layer is the fact that you're going to see a lot of novel accident patterns. You're going to see other coverages invoked. And because... Basically, you're going to have what previously used to be human error type problems. That is, was the driver inattentive when they rear-ended the other car? Did somebody make 
drive through a red light, did somebody swerve in traffic, are suddenly going to become product liability claims when exactly the, se- the car moves in exactly the same fashion, but instead of a human in control, there was a computer in control. Mm. Oh, it sounds like a minefield. I mean, because everyone's going everyone's to say, well, it was, a, it was the technology's fault. Everyone's going to say it was the technology's fault, and for several reasons, way beyond just the, I don't want to admit that I screwed up, I'd rather blame the machine, but rather because there's going to be much higher limits of coverage available in all probability if you can blame the machine rather than the human driver. If you can make a product liability claim, you'll ultimately be able to have a much deeper pocket if there's been any, particularly if there's been serious bodily injuries involved. So yeah, people will have a great many reasons, um, both psychological and practical, to blame the machine. You are as close to an insurance psychic as we could find. So <laughs> I like that. I, I like that phrase. I think maybe I shall call myself an insurance psychic going yeah. forward. What's the future of auto insurance when you look into your crystal ball? Who are going to be the winners and losers with the changes that are going to come about? I don't think that states are going to stop requiring individuals that own cars from owning private passenger auto insurance. It's certainly not for a very long time to come, but probably never, because there's always going to be at least some quirky situation in which, the, in fact, the owner of the vehicle is going to be held liable. However, those insurers are likely to be, in turn, making a lot more product liability claims, where they're essentially asserting that the vehicle owned by my policyholder injured someone, but it was really because your technology failed and therefore looking to that manufacturer and that manufacturer's insurer, manufacturer may turn around and say, well, you know, it actually wasn't our vehicle that was failed. It was the software provided by our supplier, the technology company, which then may turn around, as I sort of was alluded to earlier, may say, well, actually, our software was okay. I think the problem was in the chip or it was in the sensor. So you're going to see these cascading set of claims. Back at M-City, they're not just testing how these cars drive. Deputy Director Carrie Morton and her team at M-City are already partnering with insurance companies to figure out how this will all function. It's a lot more than just automotive OEMs and Tier 1s. We have insurance companies, telecoms, a variety, because we understand and our partners understand that we're going to have to bring together the entire ecosystem because not one sector can jump out in front of the other and just make this happen all on their own. Carrie, Ricky and Barry are back in the driverless Lincoln with Xiao being at the wheel, just in case. There's something eerie about seeing a man sitting behind the wheel of a car that's driving itself. It's like being at one of those airport bars with a self-playing piano, but with someone on the piano bench staring at the keys. Doesn't that person want to play the piano? Isn't half the fun in the action, the doing? A lot of people find driving to be exhilarating, therapeutic even. Sometimes you just want to drive around with the windows down, foot on the gas pedal, blasting Bruce Springsteen. It's hard to imagine driving without that feeling. Is this what we're giving up in the future? Do we really want to? I'm not sure I would, and John's not sure others will either. I think that's a great challenge. I think there's a a real debate about the shape of adoption. There's several divides here. One is by age and one is by sort of urban versus rural. Um, So there's lots of evidence to suggest that younger people don't see uh, driving a vehicle as aspirational as previous generations. There's lots of data to suggest that fewer 
17, 18-year-olds, uh, or I guess even longer, younger in the US, are actually getting driving licenses. In terms of the sort of urban versus rural, I think the convenience aspect of shared mobility in urban centres is really making a difference. Um, so one of the other trends that's happening here, I think, is that it's not just about autonomous vehicles. There's also the shift to shared mobility, so the move away from um, owned vehicles. Um, and that obviously is going to be um, earlier and faster in terms of adoption in urban areas because, you know, if you... If you turn on your, your app um, in, in London or New York, you, you get a very, very quick response and you, you've got a choice of vehicles uh, often within a couple of minutes. Uh, and obviously that's not the case out in rural areas in the countryside. So I think um, you know, young people in urban areas, the adoption rate could be pretty quick, but that's not going to be with them owning their own autonomous vehicle. That's going to be through shared mobility. Um, and I think there is an argument that, um, you know, that there will always be people who want to drive, but that becomes more of a leisure activity. So the, the investable piece for the near term is around about understanding these level one, level two, level three, level four cars. But I think that the, the challenge is a good one and, uh, and, and it, is, it remains to be seen how quickly these cars get adopted. So yes, we're driving towards this new future with our feet on the dashboard and hands off the wheel. And yes, many markets and industries will be disrupted, but it's not all doom and gloom. Hilary Rowan, who works with this subject every day, She's not nervous. I think that it is actually very promising, in part because the one thing that is pretty clear is that we're looking at a much lower accident environment. Even the prototypes have far fewer accidents per mile driven than human driven cars. Um, and by the time they're actually released for sale to the public, they will probably have even fewer accidents per mile driven. So the, the net savings to society are potentially enormous. And Carrie McMorton at M-City? She started her career as an engineer working with car engines. She loves driving so much, she made it at the heart of her job. And even she's excited. I have two young sons, and the thought of them being able to go where they want to, when they want to, um, in a really safe way, I think that's just really exciting. And the opportunities that it's going to open up for them and their peers, I, I think the sky's the limit. For me personally, having formerly tuned engines, uh, there'll always be a part of me that loves driving a car, the right car on the right road. Um, but sitting in congestion is, is really not favorable for anyone and not a good use of our time. And so if we can do these things more safely and, and more efficiently, it's going to be really interesting to see what new opportunities this reveals. Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the research discussed in this podcast and listen to other episodes, you can check out morganstanley.com slash ideas or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Ashley Montite. Till next week. <laughs>